This is Pro in the studio. I'm Shahir Haradwala. Today we'll be joined by Sydney and Jane, both of whom are working on the front lines, as well as my co-host Prasha. With the couple, we'll be learning more about their experiences working here during the pandemic. Let's start off, I guess, with uh, your profession. So we know, uh, Sydney, that you're an ERICU nurse and um, Jay, that you're a paramedic. Would you be able to just uh, discuss your profession, maybe elaborate on, on it a bit and uh, what you do and how you contribute in the front lines? Yeah, okay, so I'll start. So actually, I'm actually with um, Acute Nursing Resource Team um, at Sunnybrook. So I started there in 2019. But I joined ACNRT um, actually 2020 of April. So as an like ACNRT nurse, I do get sent to emerge um, all the like general medicine wards, the trauma floor, which is C5D5. And I currently also go to um, the stroke floor and the cardiovascular um, floor. But currently, I've been redeployed as an alternative care providers um, in the CVICU. So that's where I'm currently at. Um, I, what do you call that? I like as an ACP, I do um, just like support the ICU nurses. I'm not ICU trained. So I can't really do much of like, you know, any like critical um, like nursing care, but I do help with like medications and, um, you know, like drawing blood and yeah, it's a nice role. It's like slightly different than like a regular ward nurse like role where you're actually like looking after like the patient. So yeah, like as I said, as an ACP, I just support like the ICU nurses. Um, during this whole temporary position that I'm taking from like February up until mid-April. I see, okay, that's really interesting. And um, Eugene? Um, so um, as a paramedic, I consider myself as a first responder out there. Um, we basically mm -hmm. come in contact with patients um, first um, in their homes, in public or anywhere basically. And basically what I do is that whatever emergent care a patient needs, anything an emergency department can do, we bring it to them. So in an example is a cardiac arrest, cardiac arrest per se, whereas the patient needs defibrillation, intubation, IV medications. Um, as a paramedic that's uh, working with other level of paramedics, that's what we do. We basically bring in the whole emergency department to your home, to the public. That's like one of the few examples I can say. And how did you guys actually meet? So um, Sydney and I actually met uh, when we were 11 years old. We'd been, we, we went to the same elementary school, we went to the same high school, and we've been friends since then. And yeah, there, in terms of like, we did not meet in the job per se, but like we, we've, we've known each other for a long time. Yeah, we go way back. Um, but like in terms of um, being together, we've only been pretty much like together for two and a half years. <laughs> Oh really? I thought yeah. I thought you guys met in the hospital or there there was a love story there. Oh no, it, no. it wasn't that. It wasn't that like um medically <laughs> romantic. <laughs> no, um we've known each other. We've traveled quite a lot. Mm -hmm. And um when we became when we became in a when we became a thing, she was um a nursing student and I was just mm -hmm. starting my career. 
uh, with Toronto at the time. Yeah. Okay, so you're a bit older than her. Uh, no, actually, she's older than me. By a few months. Like, we, okay. we're literally, like, the same age. It's just that um, I'm born earlier in the year and he's born later in the year. <laughs> okay, so I guess it must be the program difference because yep. you were, okay, that makes sense. Exactly. And could you describe your experience working on the front lines during the pandemic? Yeah, so for me as a, as a paramedic, it has actually changed quite a lot. Like the changes were immense that it is no longer the same when I show up to work. Um, basically, um, I'm going to start with like before we were known as like first responders and we need to go there quickly, get into the call quickly, assess the patients quickly and treat quickly. Basically, that was um, that was our protocol. Now with this pandemic, that changed quite significantly. Whereas we can't just enter someone's house without um, screening them, without screening everybody, without donning PPE. So donning PPE itself, there are statistics that shows we are now um, we are now having five minute delay from when we arrive scene to patient contact, right? So there's already that gap and that's mainly primarily because of donning PPE, proper PPE, proper techniques and screening people. So that causes delay in terms of treating patients, assessing and treating patients, right? So that really plays a role, like it becomes an, a huge factor when it comes to like life-saving measures. For example, you mm -hmm. are in a cardiac arrest, you already know that from when the patient dies, when, when the patient's um, pulse stops, up until they like they can still be viable is within seven minutes. So imagine the fact that it will take us a few minutes to get there and another five minutes to don our PPE. So from there on, it's already causing so much problem for the whole call itself, right? Especially with the patient's um, survivability. And yeah, I yeah, I can imagine. Oh, sorry. I just actually want to add on to that because um, recently I did, um, I did work on a floor in the like the cardiac floor where we were short. This was during a night shift, and we were short staff, and we had a cold blue. So, um, like now we, because of the whole COVID thing, like there are like new policies where it's not just like cold blue now. It's now protected cold blue where we have to make sure that we gown up, we wear an N95 before we even go to the patient and, you know, start CPR and all that stuff. And so I feel like um, that kind of like made it a lot more challenging for us to, you know, like respond right away when we knew that like there was a code blue, we had to make sure that we had to find, you know, like the proper N95 mask before we even go in, gown up. Um, and we had to go, you know, grab whatever, like all the staff that was available. And I found that like, had it like, if it's not a pandemic, it would have been a lot easier for us to start compressions. And there definitely um, was a huge delay, but like, you know, we were still able to do whatever we can and we were able to revive the patient. But yeah, like the whole PPE thing is a big thing, this pandemic, because um, during the first wave, um, we weren't expecting like there to be a great need for PPEs. And I found that um, during the first wave, they, there would often be a lot of shortages with PPE. And so that was a bit of a concern for us because obviously we didn't want to put ourselves, you know, at risk of, 
being exposed um, and other patients too, because we're caring for multiple patients. So um, one of the like solutions that me and my fiance actually um, came up with was we needed to provide ourselves with our own PPE coming into work. This was during the first wave. And I think now it's a lot better because you know that because that like pandemic obviously has gone into the second wave, more PPEs are available, but definitely in the beginning, PPE was like PPE shortages was an issue. Mm-hmm. And also how has uh, COVID-19 impacted you in your, both of you guys in your professional life, but also personal life and interprofessionally as a whole with the healthcare field? Um, to be honest, um, personally, like it's, we weren't uh, able to, you know, see our family as often, just because during the first wave, we actually had to worry about, um, you know, like having to be like relocate somewhere temporarily just so that we wouldn't have to come home to our families um, and, you know, expose them to what we're being exposed at work. So that was an issue um, during able to get our own place. And now we don't have to worry so much about that. Um, But still, I find that because there are a lot of like, you know, patients that are asymptomatic and they're testing positive, that there is a greater risk of us still being exposed, you know, to patients that we don't even know are positive. And then we just kind of like, you know, find out that they're positive. Um, Another thing at the hospital um, is that I've been noticing that there are a lot of like staff shortages. And I think that's because, you know, people are getting exposed in the community, people are getting exposed at work. And, you know, unfortunately, they're unable to, you know, come into work. And I guess also with like the whole stress, um, you know, people are burning out, unfortunately. And, you know, it's, it's, it's still tough. Like, we're trying our best to to really stay positive and, you know, get through all of our like day and be there for the patients. But yeah. And then another thing is that they, there have been a lot of redeployments within the hospital. So like for me, for example, um, I'm part of the ACNRT. So I go to different units where, you know, there are shortages, but because the ICUs are requiring a lot more support, um, like, a lot of nurses are getting redeployed to different units, you know, temporarily just to help support the ICU nurses. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's like one of the biggest things right now that we're dealing with. And um, in terms of like personal, um, you know, like the impact of COVID with us is like just really like finding the time to like de-stress after working a set of shifts and you know sometimes you'll have a really really like draining shift and having to come back the next day you know we have to find a way to like kind of like recharge in a short period of time and then come back the next day. For sure yeah I can't even imagine with so many uh, patients and just this challenging period of time how Mm -hmm. quickly it can be just to get uh, have burnouts among nurses yeah. Do you want to add anything, babe? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, from what it, what it sounds like, there have been significant changes that COVID has brought about. Have you been able to identify anything significant that you've learned from this? 
um, any learnings that you've had or um, insights from this experience? You know what, during the pandemic, because we have, you know, like limited um, like visitors from coming in, I find that like in terms of like, just like patients, patients, I'm, I'm finding that patients are really struggling to cope um, you know, in the units, given their, you know, condition and not having enough family support or just like not having to be able to contact their family, see them regularly as they normally would. And I find that like with us, we have to actually, you know, go an extra mile and try to, you know, um, help them cope during this time where, they may feel alone oftentimes. And even though like also, you know, we're, we're busy and I, yeah, I find that like the whole, like, like restrictions on visitors is hard on a lot of families and patients. And we get families calling in, um, you know, even at like four o'clock in the morning, just because they're so worried about their loved ones. And, you know, we really have to be patient and understanding about the whole you know what patients are going through and on top of that like providing support to our colleagues that are also struggling you know dealing with this whole thing um and that's pretty much it i think this whole pandemic has really made me like really value the work that we do um just because i know it's like nursing to begin with is already challenging but like having to see what patients are going through and their families are going through and even outside of work what you know like my colleagues are going through um yeah it's it's really like like changing like it it really changed my perspective on um how important it is to to just be there for your patients and your colleagues and even my fiance when he'll come home and he he's had a rough shift you know like just trying to be there for him because it's like stressful yeah 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 that makes sense because because families are in such a vulnerable position exactly. uh, not fam or patients are in such a vulnerable position um at such a precarious stage in their lives not having those social contacts i guess that must be that must be really impacting right yeah and i mean like what's also difficult is like um we also want to try to minimize you know our you know contact with them but still you know try to make sure that like every time we connect with them like we're you know we're making the most out of it um so when we're wearing all these ppes and we're going into the rooms and the patients are isolated it's tough because you know you want to you want to do the most in that time that you're in there with them but you also don't want to be going in and out because that just increases the risk of you potentially um you know getting exposed and like getting another patient exposed or your colleague exposed and um, there have been quite a bit of outbreaks at Sunnybrook um, the past couple couple of months we've had COVID outbreaks we've had VRE outbreaks and so it really really like adds a lot more like stressors with patients and you know like us staff like having to worry about you know like how do we get you know how do we manage this how do we control this how do we still provide like you know like best quality care to patients when a lot of them are isolated. We have to gown up all the time and they can't even see our face. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot. Yeah, that human, I guess the human connection. Mm -hmm. 
And also going off of um, the engage your engagement with patients and the outbreak, how do you both keep yourself safe at work during COVID-19? So basically like right now we have to wear um, surgical masks throughout the shift. Um, we can't, like right now in a lot of stations, there's there are now limitations. Per station right now in Toronto, you're only allowed like four people in a station whereas in comparison, you can have 10 people uh, book on a, in a station and stay there, but now, you can only allow four and some of the living rooms can only accommodate two people while the other two, the other crew will stay in the dining room. So basically everything is divided divided, and you wear masks the whole time and we're issued uh, different respirators. Mm -hmm. uh, now it's just like, it's also, it's affecting our communication because because how it was, it is sealed and how it's giving us protection. You can barely hear someone or some people will have difficulty hearing you. So yeah, those are somewhat protections and some challenges that we face yeah. right now. And for us, like um, pretty much like in terms of like, um, we have to socially distance within work. Um, so we have like certain areas, we would only have obviously like a limited amount of, you know, staff that are, that should be in that area, like in break rooms, you know, like we we try to limit um, how many people are in there. Um, you know, frequent hand hygiene, just following, making sure that we're wearing PPE, um, you know, regardless if the patient is, um, you know, on isolation or not, like we have to make sure we have our masks on, our face shields on. Um, and yeah, making sure that we're still washing our hands in between when we take off our gloves, sanitizing, that's a big thing. Um, for us in the units in the hospital, like we we try to sanitize as often as we can, um, just because we don't want to obviously, you know, increase the risk of transmitting anything between patients and staff. I guess if you're looking in the short term, preventing the transmission of infection is a big thing. But what about long term? What do you think are the long term impacts of this pandemic? You know what I think just being mindful that like, I know now this whole, like everybody getting vaccinated um, at work, people are probably gonna feel a, like, you know, just like a little bit more comfortable um, with the, you know, the pandemic. But I still like, in my personal opinion, like I think just like really social distancing, um, you know, like making sure that you, you limit attending social gatherings if you can um like and again like when I see all these patients just like be stuck in the hospital and they can't be with their loved ones on special locations and stuff like that it really like makes me even more um you know like when I go home I try to not go out as much and you know even though I want to see my friends who are also nurses like I unfortunately like I you know I try to not do that and um yeah like I, I have a feeling that with like all the staff shortages that we're having throughout the hospital like there's definitely going to be a need for more um frontliners more nurses more staff um and potentially we're gonna continue maybe redeploying staff um yeah I don't know what about you like what about you babes so in terms of long-term effect mm -hmm. um think about it now that you're going through this pandemic and I think going back to the norm, to the norm, I'm pretty sure you guys have attended clinicals, right? Um, a year ago, two years ago, we weren't used to wearing a mask, right? We can just literally That's talk true. to somebody who has the flu and mm -hmm. or coughing and sneezing, and we can literally walk up to them 
and not be worried about that. I think over the next couple of years, that norm, or I think that norm is already gone, that even if, even if we go back to that normal, no virus, no coronavirus, I think it will be hard for everybody just to like not wear any somewhat PPE, mm -hmm. right? Because it's going to be hard. We've been going at this for what, um, over a year now. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that's one of the long-term effect, if not um, probably short-term. Now, in, ter in terms of the other long-term effect is that those people who has had um, the worst um, COVID-19 symptoms, what I've been seeing is that there has been, there has been, um, effects on their lungs, on their um, respiratory capacity. So now it's just more so um, the patho pathological long-term effect that this COVID-19 brings to patient. A lot of them now, I've, I have seen 30-year-olds, um, that's, I have actually seen one 31-year-old male who's never getting off the bent just because of the damage of his lungs. Mm. Um, his, his surfactant is completely washed out his lungs is not is no longer expanding so it's more so worse than uh, lung cancer basically right so these are the long-term effects that I've seen at work and it's quite a little it's prevalent especially to the young people but yeah more so the health wise yeah yeah you know I think um, the impact for uh, younger adults I think that goes unsaid because there is this kind of there is this kind of barrier that people have set up that it only affects the older and more vulnerable people. Yeah. Uh, because I watch a lot of soccer and I've seen, and these, these people are probably like fittest group of people in, in, on the planet, right? They were, they're yeah. athletes, they do a lot of cardio training, yet you're still seeing the impacts of COVID on those athletes. They can't train as much anymore. Right. I, remember, I remember reading one interview where this one player, he talks about how he couldn't even walk properly for a few months because that was the impact of COVID on, onto his lungs. And so people ignore that sometimes just to yeah, maybe reassure themselves or just ignore everything that's happening to desensitize themselves. Exactly. But I think that's really important to consider. It is, and a lot of people, well, I'm not gonna lie, like well, I've, I've heard this a lot with people who are anti-maskers, like I've, I've spoken to a few. And it's that, yeah, it is a flu. Yes, it is a virus. However, the one thing that they don't understand, and I think, I don't know if it's just them being ignorant, but this flu affects your lungs primarily and not just, this is not just a simple flu, right? You could really have a really bad effect of it, depending on the variant. Like they've already That's expressed true. that in the beginning of March, 2020, whereas there are a lot of variants. There are seven variants that's known right now right and it keeps adding up and people are ignoring the fact that mm -hmm. each variant um variant's effects is completely different it's completely de dependent so some people will have mild symptoms they'll have covid and they'll be fine they'll be okay whereas some people who are not taking the right precautions will get it and the next thing you know they're intubated in an icu mm -hmm. in a vent and what I've learned is that once someone, especially especially young ones, once they are needed to be intubated and needs to be on a vent, they're highly unlikely not getting off that vent in the next couple of months. And that is because their lungs is now dependent on that. Because of the virus, it completely knocked out their, um, like their capability to breathe on their own. Yeah, and I kind of want to add on to that, like just like a, from personal experience, like I remember looking after like a, like a, she's only like 40, 40 year old patient. Again, like I've seen her before. She's, she's a, like, she comes in for dialysis at Sunnybrook and 
again, like she's fully healthy, um, you know, fully functional. And, um, you know, after having COVID, it's like, she's a totally different person. And like, you know, like a 40 year old, you know, that's, that's fairly young. And it's just seeing her in a, in a totally different condition where she now has a peg tube, she now has a trach. Um, you know, it's just like, people again like people are not realizing that like it doesn't matter how old you are like you know once you have COVID like you you just you can't just assume that you can just recover quickly and go back to your you know normal like life and it's just sad that like you know we do see patients like that where they've had a pretty pretty just like normal life and now it's like their life has totally turned upside down yeah yeah virus yeah definitely and, and I, I guess that's why we can understate what you've said earlier about protecting yourself against the virus mm. i guess your this is why your experience is important in highlighting what you've seen and showing the public what exactly you are seeing right now and being aware of the consequences and impacts that this pandemic has had on the frontline workers and the patients who are in those hospitals right yeah, and I mean, I just want to add, I mean, I haven't mentioned it yet, but I'm also currently five months pregnant. So um, just being pregnant during the pandemic has definitely, you know, like made me feel like a certain way as well, just because I know that like frontliners are, you know, like we've, we've had the access to the vaccine, but, you know, me being pregnant, like I've, I've definitely been like hesitant about like whether or not I should get the vaccine and how, you know, I, I haven't read up much about like, what are the impacts of, you know, COVID on like pregnant people or whether if I was to get pregnant, like, I mean, if, if I was to get um, the virus, like, I wonder how that would impact me. So um, I really do think about other frontline workers who are, you know, pregnant and are still having to go to work and having to care for all these patients that you know I I don't really you know I don't choose the patients that I care for and I don't want to refuse to you know care for patients who are potentially you know um, COVID positive and or you know PUI and so again it's like it's a totally different experience for me yeah yeah that makes sense I guess you're entering a different ballgame because mm-hmm. because of your pregnancy and that just sets up a whole new set of issues or cons- not not necessarily issues but concerns right um, exactly yeah worries that you're having and in protecting not only yourself now but also your baby Sydney you touched upon this a bit but um both of you guys dedicating your time in the front lines is there anything is there one thing that you both want to tell the public one thing is that what, what I see and what I go through almost every shift is that when you ask them if you screen them, they, a lot of people lie about their symptoms. They mm. lie about their diagnoses. They lie about their travel travels. They lie about hanging out with other people and they lie about social gatherings, right? Mm. And what, what I wanna tell the public is that if you are asked by a healthcare professional as to um, if you have symptoms or if you've traveled or what, whatever it is, I feel like it is on you. The onus is on you to like, just tell the truth and just admit to it just so that we can protect ourselves better. 
because it's not going to change how we treat you. Mm-hmm. We're not going to be judgmental because it's too late for that. Mm-hmm. And it's just more so I want to protect myself. I want to protect my colleagues. I want to protect the public. I want to protect my family. And at the end of the day, I just want to go home. I just want to be safe and so that I can do it all over again the next day and still be safe, right? Because I just want to prevent the transmission. It's right now, I don't, I'm not seeing that um, reliability with the public. I am not, they're, they're not, sure, they're, I, they're, most of them are not doing their part basically, right? And no offense um, to a lot of people. I know some people are trying, but not a lot of people are doing so. And it's, it's quite frustrating that I, I go through that. Like there's enough stress at work. There is enough um, things going around. It's just that it's that little thing that might just help us. Because there was one time I was almost isolated for two weeks. And that's because I asked this person if they had been tested. And it, they said, no, they have not been tested, whatever, yada, yada. When I got to the hospital, when the nurse, I was triaging and the nurse told me, she's like, why aren't you wearing a gown and everything? Apparently that person got his, he got tested last week before I brought him in and he was tested positive and it was on his file, on his, on his MRN when they opened up his MRN and that, om- that almost knocked me out. It was just that I was wearing a proper eyewear and mask. I wasn't wearing a gown. So after that though, I was out of service and I, I had to disinfect the whole ambulance, everything that I touched and I had to take a shower again and change my uniform. And now that's that insane. affects that's now that affects the number of trucks available because we were so after we cleaned the ambulance after disinfecting it, we need to go to um, back to our headquarters and to do something called fogging. What that is is they're gonna um, spray chemicals all over the ambulance, and you have to wait about two hours for that to set in to kick in. So now your ambulance is completely disinfected so that it is safe for you to use for another patient. So the infection management on our, on our end is quite extensive. And it's that we just need to be aware. We just need to, we just need to know. And what I see a lot is people lying on our faces, right? Mm-hmm. So like that, like something I want to tell them is that sure, wear your mask, um, isolate, but one more, one thing is, if you've done something that you know might affect other people, just admit to it. Yeah, just own up. To yeah, it, basically, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. that's insane that you talk about that because because that's such an unethical thing to do, right? Thinking yeah. just just from a human standpoint, you shouldn't be doing that. Do you, do you think that there's a reason to why this is happening, or because people have been so they're just, they're just feeling numb to what what everything's happening around them? Is that maybe one of the reasons, or I think. Sorry to say this. I think it's more so there's a lot of ignorance in there. And the other part is that there's not enough kind of um, support for those people, right? And for those people who does that, I cannot speak for themselves, but I know one person, um, well, a patient actually, but this case a little bit different. It was that he was homeless. He had some mental health problems with some addiction. And what happened was he was tested positive and he just went back to the shelter. And basically the whole shelter is on lockdown. No one goes in, no one goes out, even the staff. And that's because a lot of them don't wear masks, right? And 
I can't really say that everyone who does it is just ignorant. Or is, I think some people are just, they're going through something much worse, right? Like homelessness, um, drug addiction, mental health problems. But yeah, I can't speak for every one of them, but most people who's doing that and they're in the right mind, I think it's just pure ignorance. Yeah. And uh, again, like, I just want to add, like, what I want to tell the public is like, I really, really hope that people take, you know, the whole pandemic seriously, because like, we're doing our part and, you know, we, we really want to be there for our patients and do the best that we can, but we also have our loved ones and, you know, we have, you know, ourselves to look after. And so if we all work together, that would really help in trying to at least, you know, help manage things and not have things, you know, become even worse. And so for me, it's just like, you know, I have so much respect for my colleagues. I have so much respect for my clients and, you know, all the other healthcare professionals that are doing their job. And so if the public could totally just, you know, educate themselves and just be a little bit more, I guess, appreciative and just, you know, like, let's try to work together um, instead of just, you know, trying to worry about, you know, like, well, I like, you know, this pandemic has definitely, you know, I, I get it. Like it, the pandemic has affected all of us. And it's, it's just interesting how like, you know, people would, would rather like, you know, would stay home like on a snow day, but like this whole pandemic has been going on and they're, you know, they're not reluctant to stay home. Like, it's just, I don't know, like it, it does make me a little bit of upset sometimes, but if the public does want to, you know, be more um, like, I guess, appreciative and, you know, cooperate and work with us, then I guess we could totally, totally make things a lot better for everyone. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I really do think people need to be more cognizant of the hard work that you're doing and the efforts you're making to protect all of us. You've spoken a lot about the challenges that you've had during the pandemic. How do both of you uh, manage your mental health during this time? Right now, um, although there is somewhat lockdown and whatnot, however, though, um, for me, especially between two services, um, I work quite a lot. And I tried to make sure that on my days off or sometimes when I get off nights, we still got some got somewhat of like um, an outside time. So I make sure that Sydney and I um, go somewhere and just like kind of like do a small hike and just to like- Just like to breathe to and, breathe and yeah. release, some frust- release some frustration. So we tried to do that, like and not just stay at home. Um, but yeah, like we tried to go to places where us there's not a lot of people we try not to yeah we don't go into like you know like common like common areas exactly we, we try to go to like a forest or something like that and of course like we try to wear a mask all the time oh all the time and yeah actually like yesterday Cindy and I went on a hike and she called me out for not wearing my mask in the middle of the forest and it was just her and I <laughs> um but yeah that's one thing that what we what we do is to do that. Get some fresh air, you know, yeah. like see a bit of scenery because like, you know, being at home, I understand people like it, it could be very, I don't know, like, you know, you, you just stress out being at home to not doing anything. And I get it. But, you know, if like just take, going for a walk and like taking a nice, you know, like breath of fresh air, 
um we have a dog so you know we really enjoy that really helps. yeah it's Intention, like yeah. that kind of like you know companionship with their dog and for me i really take the time to just check up on you know my loved ones um even just a facetime regularly see how they're doing um same with my colleagues you know even though i know we all work in the same workplace you know just checking up on them and seeing how they're doing um sharing certain experiences with them really does help make us feel like you know we're all in this together where we can relate to each other's experiences and yeah and one thing too is like like doing with Sydney ever since we started seeing each other even before this pandemic like I usually just we just usually just get in our car and just like drive off and basically that's what we do we just go to a place and um, visit a small town or visit a small um small place somewhere in the province and just stay in our car and not go out and that's mainly because when when I do that I, do, I don't really want to bring in whatever I have or whatever I may may have to a small town where they're completely isolated and not have any cases right so yeah that's one thing we do we just usually just drive off stay in our car and just kind of um, park somewhere and just talk basically just to get out of the city just yeah. to get out of um just, get, just to get out of town yeah the good thing between us is we we talk we love talking about you know um like our feelings and our experiences at work and we i think really just like that frequent communication really helps release a lot of you know um of the stress that we might be having and again like like I said, like we do enjoy, even though I know like, you know, we shouldn't obviously be um, going in like common gathering places. And we do, again, like try to make sure that we still get some fresh air because, you know, going to work, coming home, it, like you're indoors all the time. Like you need at least some fresh air and like waking up sometimes too early in the morning and coming home and you don't even see daylight. Like that could be really depressing. And you know, it really, like, it really makes your, like, you know, your day just kind of like, where, where did that day go? Like, I didn't even see the sunlight, you know, I didn't even see the sunset type of thing. So yeah, yeah, I felt that before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it helps. It really helps doing that. And again, like we try our best to just, we even at home cooking and binge watching shows on Netflix, like really helps us <laughs> de-stress. Definitely, that's what I've been doing a lot as well. Mm-hmm. That's that's it from us. Prasha, do you have anything to add? Nope. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing the experience, though. I learned a lot just by just listening. Oh, thank you so much for taking yeah. the time to interview us. Honestly, this was fun. Yeah, thank you, Sydney and Jay. That's it from us today. This episode is produced by the Quarantine Project, an initiative created by nursing students to provide easy-to-understand COVID-19 information for teens. If you are interested in learning more about the work we do, you can subscribe to our Instagram channel at project. Until then, see you next week.